welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. So let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Hey, uh, Robert, how are you doing there? Oh yeah, well it's uh, winter's here. It's cold, it's dark, and it's been raining incessantly for the last 24 to 48 hours. But it's good old Melbourne for you. It's been pretty good up here actually in Sydney. Um, I thought it was going to rain, but in the end it didn't. So um, we had a nice sunny day. So, Robert, we've been doing these podcasts for Cracky. Now, it must be well over a year now we've been doing this. And we call it M&A Stories. And uh, we call it for a reason because when we kicked this off, we had so many stories to tell. You've had stories. But we had a bit of a chat a few days ago and we said there are lots of stories there, but things that really went badly. And I thought, let's give it a crack and and, and tell some of these uh, stories. And... We started talking just yesterday about the fact that Christine Holgate has just been appointed the head of the rival to Australia Post, Global Express. Yep, absolutely. But there's a story behind all this, an M&A story. As well. Well, well, first of all, Christine Holgate's definitely landed on her feet. Uh, she must yes. be grinning from ear to ear. I um, think so, yeah. There's a bit of karma there, I think, isn't there? There, there absolutely is. I know the transport and logistics industry quite well. And Toll Global Express has to be the the jewel in the crown in, in terms of a valuable business. And if you like, the standard that other Global Express businesses need to follow, in my opinion. Maybe just briefly, just explain what Global Express is. What, what does it actually do? Global Express actually got two or three parts to it, but its core, its yeah. main business is parcel delivery. So if you if you you go and buy a pair of shoes for off Amazon, yeah, Parcel Express that will deliver those shoes to your doorstep. So right? I I get those parcels, you know, Rob, whether it's Star Trek yep. or DHL or Australia Post. So uh, Global Express is one of those other people who do that delivery. Absolutely. Let me right. tell you. So, uh, so Paul Little right. is credited with growing Toll Group to the the success that it was. And again, because of my connection with the transport industry, I know Paul. And Paul is the, what was his role? He was chairman and CEO of Toll Group. From when to when? Oh God, I can't remember when he actually left, but prior to the, probably 10 years ago now, probably. Anyway, so I, I was actually at an industry dinner one night and I got sat on a table next to Paul. We were having a chat and he asked me a curly question. He said, what's the most important department in Toll Group? And uh, to cut this long story short, uh, the answer was, and I thought, that doesn't add up to say, was that for Toll Global Express, every time you or me or our wives or anybody goes online and orders a pair of shoes or anything that you buy, what, what do you do? You get your credit card out and you pay for it. Mm. So that money has gone to the vendor that you're buying the shoes from, and that vendor has taken a portion of that money and transferred it to Toll Express Mm. at the point that you've made the transaction. Okay, so Toll's actually got the money before they've actually done anything. There's no... Yeah, okay. 
It's sitting in their bank account as surplus front. operating cash, money up front. Yeah. And Paul's comment to me was that if Toll at the time ran their business efficiently in all areas, they could probably uh, deliver about a 7% return to investors. If they gave that surplus operating cash to Treasury, yeah. they could turn that into an 11% return to investors. Pretty good, eh? It's wonderful to be paid ahead of time. I actually turned around to Paul at the time and I went, oh, I said, so it's got nothing to do with trucks and transport and warehousing and distribution. That's the point is that, I mean, if you go back to the Japan Post deal, there was there was hundreds of things in there that went wrong. A few bullet points on what well, I... Maybe just to paint the picture, Rob. So when did Japan Post... What what, did, what was Japan Post actually doing with, with Toll? What, 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 give us so, a quick history here. Japan Post was a typical post office type business. Yeah. Government owned, etc. Yeah. It wanted to get into the lucrative parcels market in Asia. And so the idea of acquiring Toll Group was the mechanism for doing that. Now, there's two issues here straight away. The first one is that Japan Post actually had no experience of toll. And secondly, they've got no experience of running a high-volume logistics parcel business, which is very, very different from a postal letters-type business. Mm. The actual catalyst for this Mm. was that prior to the deal taking place, toll had actually approached Japan Post with a merger proposal, had a division called Foot Express Mm. in Japan. That wasn't doing well at all. And they wanted to do a sort of a JV with Japan Post. That was the initial conversation. And then Japan Post came back and went, well, hang on a minute. No, but why why don't we actually take all of you? Okay, so it started off with a joint venture, but eventually it turned into an acquisition of the Toll Group. It started out as a small, yeah, yeah. small jo- merger joint venture of Toll's Japan business with Japan Post, and it actually then turned into a six point three billion dollar acquisition of Toll Group by Japan Post. That's a big, big takeover, isn't it? And that it's because Japan Post wanted to get into the lucrative parcels business across all of Asia. And it's fair to say at that time, the Asian parcel business was very fragmented. And Japan Post at least had the organizational structure and size and capacity to be able to... Okay, so in other words, they were able to provide the economies of scale to, for toll to operate larger than than Australia itself, yeah, exactly. Okay, and that was the that was at least the, the the proposal or the plan. Now it went wrong in a number of ways, but the, the the initial part that went wrong was that Japan Post demanded extreme secrecy. They did not want this deal getting out at all. So. They only had a small handful of very select advisors working on this deal. Whereas normally, as you and I know, on a deal of that size, it would have been flooded with investment bankers and goodness knows what else and large teams. 
because of that, I, I was going back to your, remember we did a podcast some time ago about this desire to go and acquire something because it's bright and shiny. Yes, yeah. That was a bit of what was driving Japan Post. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, Toll Group only allowed five weeks of due diligence. Just a question is this just the earlier question is the extreme secrecy. Was what was the what was the negative associated with this? What, why was that a bad thing necessarily in this particular case? Well, it was done for obvious reasons. They wanted it under a shroud of secrecy. That meant keeping it restricted to only a need-to-know basis. It was also the Japanese prime minister was yeah. keen for this deal to go through, but he did not want any political. So if it got out into the open, okay. people would start saying, well, what, what's our politicians getting involved? Why Why is uh, our okay. state-owned okay. business making a private acquisition okay. to go on? Okay, they didn't really want the negative publicity, so that would potentially and come out of it. And it would have also opened up, of course, the, the floodgates because organizations like DHL, for example, just to think of one, mm -hmm. come running in and going, hey, here's a here's a counteroffer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So so that was one thing. But you said also that the due diligence was only five weeks long. It was only five weeks long. Part of it was because politically, Japanese government were looking to take Japan Post to IPO with a fairly aggressive timeline. Mm. And the idea was that if they acquired toll in that time frame going to IPO, mm. that created added value to the business of Japan Post and therefore made the share offering a uh, much more significant value. Mm. And Shinji Abe could turn around and basically say, look what I've done. I've taken what is a low value government mm. asset and yeah. turned it into a very successful traded business. Mm. Okay. okay. Right. So that's the background to it. What's really clever about this is that, so Toll Group only allowed five weeks of due diligence. Mm. I mean, normally a deal that size would take months. Yes, potentially, yes. Somehow, and I don't know how, yeah. but Toll's advisors managed to convince Japan Post pay a 49% premium on the share price. Okay. And their argument being was, ah, yes, but you're not just buying the business, you're buying all of the management expertise and you're buying all of the IP. Well, this would be based on some sort of valuation that they did. So yeah. it sounds like to me that the business was in some way overvalued due with this. It came. was overvalued at a time when under the covers, Coal Group was in a mess. Okay, so we had a so only five weeks for due diligence. Valuation estimates were very high indeed. Yeah, they were, okay. and based on. Uh, Toll had got a strategy to grow or was in the process of a strategy to grow uh, the parcels business in Singapore. Mm -hmm. That was seen as a premium market by Japan mm -hmm. Post, right? Mm -hmm. So it's back to the shiny stuff again. Yeah, so I can imagine what they did. They probably put in some very shiny forecasts of future yeah. operating results, but this was unrealized um, revenue that was future revenue baked into a, a, a valuation. Yeah, to some degree, it was it was significantly overvalued. Yeah. Now, the other thing to look at as far as Toll Group was concerned, 
at the time is twofold. Number one, in an attempt to grow the international market, particularly the Asian market, over the course of previous five or six years, and it might have been longer, I don't know, don't quote me, mm. but they'd made about 120 rapid acquisitions. Okay. And that sounds like a lot. All of those people on, on the peripheral of the, of the industry that mm. so watching this were all saying the same thing, which was that Toll had to be real, really careful because what they were doing was basically making an acquisition of a, a company, let's say, in, in, in Singapore, essentially slapping a sign on the side of that company's trucks that says it's now Toll Group and doing nothing, very little else. You ended up with 120 satellite acquisitions who were not part of Toll's systems or infrastructure, basically operating with their previous processes and methods and so on sure. and so forth, just simply owned by Toll Group. So it was it was a mess. There was there was no control. There was no management oversight on these. There was no growth strategy. They weren't integrated into the toll business. Mm. And I think even today, there's still ramifications from those acquisitions. Yeah. Well, it, when you have those sorts of time, it, it creates a kind of level of dysfunction, and <laughs> and obviously higher operating costs as well across the board. So yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and so you've suddenly got what is essentially a heavily decentralized business, which is lots of lots of satellites, being acquired for a 49% premium on the share price by a large government-run organization in Japan that's got no expertise in global logistics and parcels. Right. And that high level, uh, a recipe for disaster, the fact that only a small band of select individuals were allowed to be part of the deal process. That lack of insight, if you like, or let's put yeah. it this way, the bright and shiny aspect. We'll be talking about deal fever, potentially. Yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, by the way, yeah. that was happening at that time, Toll Group had been heavily infiltrated at the operating level by criminal gangs. Okay, and they were there was serious charges laid on individuals in toll that were using toll for drug shipments and, and okay. all of this sort of stuff. Hell's Angels were involved somewhere as well. Yep. It was being painted on the surface was of a bright and shiny organisation that was worth a forty nine percent premium on the share price, and then of course the need for secrecy meant that a lot of the due diligence that should have been done. Okay. Lack of lack of due diligence, valuation overvalued, yep. and the and, other sort uh, of thing I think is basically a company that on the outside looked okay, but natural fact hid a lot of dysfunction through all these various what is it 120 odd um, acquisitions that uh, were operating in a decentralized way. One of the key people at Toll at one time was, and I can't remember who it was, but he was accredited with a one-liner, and you and I were talking about one-liners the other day, yeah. that described the issue that Toll had got. And he was basically saying that Toll over the years had created an environment of siloing the business. So there was significant infighting amongst executives that ran the particular divisions of Toll Group. And he said, and the problem with toll was that we knew the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. 
That was his one-liner. We knew the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. It's funny that. It's funny because I think one of the things you allude to is that toll, and I think in, in the transport sector can be a bit like this. They're very focused on cost, but not so focused on the customer experience or the uh, customer service or the customer journey or the the notion of customer value that that really is what makes people go ahead and use those services so everybody's focused very heavily on finance beautifully yeah Yeah, absolutely but not not on value yeah and and actually i've just i've been struggling for a word to try and describe it just the last five minutes but i've just remembered what it is that impact of all of those acquisitions Mm. the criminal back to the sort of crept into toll groups operations Mm. that the lack that there was no tight integration of those acquisitions across the business it it essentially created this is the word a destabilized business destabilized yeah and nobody knew how to fix it yep and if there's one industry one industry in the world that can't afford to be destabilized it's it's international logistics yeah it needs to run like uh, like clockwork like a swiss watch it's funny uh, i remember a podcast we did several months ago and i i did it. it's called don't become a zombie acquirer yep. zombies and that you can and they do exist can't organization that make acquisition after acquisition without properly thinking about how they work in unison or together in an integrated yep. way with a single operating model for example and yep. you're just sowing the seeds of dysfunction which gets worse and worse and worse and you become a zombie organization here we come now to the the end result now. So for the last God knows how many years, Japan Post have been looking for ways to get out of this debacle and offload the toll business. Mm. Now, this is the Global Express business. Yeah. It's been acquired by Allegro, which is a Sydney-based private equity fund. Now, this has happened just recently, hasn't it? Closed in the last month or so, I think. That is recent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the interesting, here's the numbers. Yep. Japan Post net gain for this deal is about 10 million bucks. Wow. And part of the deal is that Allegro will inject about 500 million into the business, including debt funding. So, so not much of an ROI, really, is it? Or, or return to shareholders from, from Australia's Post perspective? But listen at this. I did some dot points earlier today. Here's yeah. what Allegro have got. So they bought Toll Global Express. This is a business generating $3.2 billion revenue in 2020. And remember, that revenue is surplus operating cash. Remember, it's 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 yeah. coming from parcels where the, the revenue is flowing before the parcel actually gets picked up. That $3.2 billion business, a billion dollars of it 30 percent of that is the parcel express business then on top of that they've got the courier division so that's high value documents etc and so on they've got the palletized intermodal work they've got shipping interests the business itself if you were to replace the trucks trailers depots aircraft the assets that they use to conduct business it's a billion dollars worth of assets there. 
Wow, okay. Now, yes, there's some issues in there. There's some major issues. And these acquisitions are still a thorn in the side. Mm. As an operating business, Global Express Parcels business with $3.2 billion of annual revenue. Yeah, that does sound good, doesn't it? Yes. And they essentially will allow Toll Group to continue to operate the way Mm. they have done in the past. Yeah without the interference of Japan Post. And it's almost as if the you know, stars are aligning because then Christine Holgate, who gets, due to politics and various other things, gets ejected out of Australia Post CEO role, all because of half a dozen watches being given as gifts, mm-hmm. is now, as the CEO of Toll Express... As I said at the beginning of this, Toll Express has got to be the jewel in the crown as a parcel freight business. And with Christine Holgate at the helm, Mm. that's going to be a smack in the teeth for Australia Post because they won't be able to compete. Yeah, interesting enough. Well, very interesting indeed. We're just going to see how it is. It's, obviously, it's a great move for Kristen Holgate to become the yep. CEO. And obviously, there's in, in, interesting things to come with, with Toll Global Express. I mean, clearly, they've got to complete the separation and transformation of the business through that $500 million in funding. And I understand the deal will complete, what, the end of June? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just recalling, I'm going back about three years now. I actually went into Toll's headquarters and I had a uh, conversation with Toll's group CFO. And even and this is just three years ago. And even then, he was saying that the hangover of all of those in acquisitions that they made is still causing severe pain across the business. Because yeah. they've, they've got no visibility, they've got no control. They're, there's a hundred sort of satellite acquisitions out there. Yeah. Even to the point, one of the things I just remembered was that when those acquisitions took place, allowed each acquisition to decide whether it wanted to keep its own systems or integrate with toll systems. They actually had a choice. Now, I mean, I I, I won't say anything, Rob. I mean, that's that's yeah, that that sounds uh, very strange. But now, providing the two big big issues that are in there is the criminality aspect that's invaded toll. And I don't know where that's at now or how well that's being managed. Mm. And date of all of these prior acquisitions, Mm. it will be interesting to see how well they can be pulled into the into the frame, so to speak, and integrate it. It's got to be a challenge. It is. So, so Rob, just to sort of wrap this up, what, what do you think of the sort of the key lessons learned about Japan's post-acquisition and, and final sale to Allegro partners? Number one is don't, don't be blinded by the sh- bright and shiny things. In other words, yeah. deal fever. Just watch out for yeah. deal, f- deal fever, I think. Take, take the politics or the emotion away and look at it in, as a phrase my wife often uses, under the cold light of logic. Yeah, yeah. Number two, if somebody turns around to you and says, ah, yes, well, our share price might be X, but you've got to pay 50% more for it because we've got uh, IP and management Mm, expertise mm. and all this added value, then you've got to do your due diligence to show that that value is actually there. 
So make let the DD drive the valuation. Don't so I'll just take it on face value. And in a deal that size, the due diligence is going to be three, four, five months a long, long. A longer process. Yeah. So I think that the valuation was stymied by the fact that it was only a five week uh, due diligence period. It was stymied by the political atmosphere in yeah. Japan. Yeah. It was stymied by the fact that the, the the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe wanted this yeah. as a sort of a jewel yeah. to show his uh, supreme leadership and ability to yeah. take a government function to IPO, you, you've got the, the secrecy and just a small handful of people actually managing this deal when normally in a deal of this complexity and size, there'd be hundreds of people involved. And, and the, you know, the last point is, if you're going to make an acquisition like this, yeah. make sure you've got the expertise to be able to manage it. Mm. Yes. It's completely stupid. Yeah. Let's let's say that West Farmers turned around tomorrow and said, I know we're a big company and we've got lots of good things around our business. Let's get into nuclear power. West Farmers got no expertise in nuclear power capability. They wouldn't yeah. know where to start. Yep. So, so uh, what I've got here three. So one is obviously the bright and shiny object object type thing, which I think yep. is symptomatic of deal fever. Second it is. is a valuation uh, problem, fundamentally because the limited due diligence was imposed upon the exercise. And third, yep. it was simply expertise that just didn't have the experience to operate a business. Like and I, I, I just add a fourth, and I would say that the lack of due diligence failed to uncover what was effectively a destabilized, dysfunctional business. Okay. So, yeah. Lack of due diligence didn't find the dysfunction. You, you, were, you weren't buying a highly tuned, yeah. high-performance sports car. You were paying for that price, but you were getting a steam engine. Yeah, the DD didn't find the surprises. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I must admit, Rob, it, it's it, it was a fascinating chatting this with you about that because it is happening now as we speak. This this deal has just occurred yeah. with the Lego yeah. funds. It's going to complete at the end of June, and there's there's some separation that happened from the rest of Toll Group and with Christine Holgate leaving Australia Post and uh, and being appointed the new CEO. I think it's um, it's yeah. going to be fascinating to watch, and it'll be interesting to watch as we go through. Yeah, and I'm sure there'll be lots of journalists out there. We'll have plenty of material to talk and write about in the next few years as this actually materialises and takes shape. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very good. There you go. Well, with that in mind then, Rob, well, look, that's that's good. And we'll be back again next week with another M&A story, Good, Bad and the Ugly. And so Rob has told his story and it'll be for me to tell a story. Not a great one, but I think we've got a lot to learn from m deals that go bad. We've just Absolutely. had one, and we're going to do another. Look forward to it, Toby, okay. and enjoy your day. <laughs> I will do. Thanks. Thanks. Well, bye for now.